0: There has been a historical legacy of um, work from NGOs, from research impact projects, where interventions have been suggested that actually undermine these, this inherent resilience.
1: Hello and welcome to another acclimatised conversation on climate change adaptation the show that picks the brains of some of the leading thinkers about climate change risk and resilience. I'm Lydia and today I'm speaking to Dr Catherine Grasham and Dr Ellen Dyer from Reach to learn all about their work on water security and resilience in the face of a changing climate. REACH is a global research programme funded by UK Aid and led by the University of Oxford that works with a global network of academic, government, practitioner and enterprise partners. They look at how to improve water security for the poor by delivering world-class science that can then transform policy and practice. Living in poverty often means a struggle for water security. Rapid urban growth, unregulated pollution from industry, extreme floods and droughts, along with a lack of reliable and safe drinking water and increasing damage to water ecosystems threatens economies and undermines the lives of the poor. Climate change is going to make these impacts even worse. So I went and spoke to Kat and Ellen to learn a little bit more about the links between water security and climate resilience. Catherine and Ellen, thank you so much um, for speaking to me today. Um, Do you want to just introduce yourselves briefly to our listeners?
2: Yeah, so I'm Ellen Dyer and I'm a postdoc in the REACH program Um, and my background is in atmospheric physics and climate science and what I do in REACH is kind of try and liaise with people in other disciplines to help understand water security in the observatory countries that REACH works in.
1: Brilliant, great, Catherine, tell us who you are.
0: (laughs) So my name is Catherine Gresham. I'm also a postdoctoral researcher in the REACH program, but I'm a social scientist. I work predominantly in Ethiopia trying to understand the relationships between
1: politics,
0: water security and society.
1: So what are the factors that make up water security?
0: So water security is an interdisciplinary concept, um, But from my perspective, as a social scientist, it's very much to do with politics and society. So there are many different factors that influence water security. So there's some research that's been done recently where we did a review of the literature and we found that actually historical legacies of inequality actually contribute to how water secure people are. Okay, well, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So that means if you think about colonial history, we can see that infrastructure has sprung up around... um, very unequal infrastructure has sprung up around cities. And so people get serviced differently.
1: Oh, wow. So literally, say from like colonial times, people landing in building cities and for them, but not for other people has impacts today on people's water security.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you would find that the wealthier people in society would live in certain areas of the city and that area of the city would be better served by water than other areas of the city. And those legacies still exist today
1: okay so there's lots of different things that go into measuring water security but are there like any key things to indicate whether somebody is water secure or not
0: so the sustainable development goals offer a really useful framework for us in understanding water security and there is sort of three key um, components to somebody being water secure which is Having access to a sufficient amount of water that is affordable and of sufficient quality. So, that offers us, us in reach, working in developing countries, a really useful baseline for understanding water
2: security. So, the, another thing just to add to the discussion of how to measure water security is that relates to climate change is that you have to pick kind of a temporal scale to measure it on. Okay. Um, so, someone could be water secure now and they will not be water secure in the future, or they could be water secure in kind of the baseline state of the climate. Or when you have an extreme, then they're kind of bumped out of that kind of consideration of being water secure. Um, So yeah, with climate change, you can have kind of slow gradual changes, like a change in temperature over time, change in the baseline rainfall over time, and that will generally affect what people term water availability. So that's kind of a a long, slow change that could happen. And that, especially with temperature, because models are much um, less uncertain in their projections of temperature, that is something that you can um, plan for to a certain extent. Um, But then what is more difficult to plan for is a change in extremes. So you can have um, changing rainy seasons, so Mm -hmm. you you can have a shorter rainy season. Mm -hmm. And in some parts of East Africa, models do project that there will be shorter rainy seasons with more rainfall, so that means you're having much more extreme rainfall. Um, <clears throat> or you can have a shift in the timing of the rainy season. Okay. So there's are kind of like different things that you need to consider there. So the shift in a rainy season, people have to kind of change certain habits um, over time. Um, but with extremes like drought and flood, there is the consideration of um, is the engineering that is currently being used going to be able to stand up to those? Um, new extremes. So like your dam has a certain capacity, will it be able to um, be functional in a very extreme wet season in the future? Um, So thinking about climate change and water security, you really need to kind of layer the external hazard um, and then understand the risk at different temporal scales, different regional scales, and then at the scale of different types of water users.
1: But resilience to shocks and like flash floods, for example, or droughts or rainy seasons that we're not good at projecting. What research does REACH do at helping people become more climate resilient, specifically to those sorts of shocks and things? What What have you guys found?
0: So what I found in my social research in Ethiopia with rural communities is that the communities are already incredibly resilient. So this is oh, wow. not something new. It's something these climate dynamics are things mm-hmm. that they've been coping with for generations and they have lots of different coping strategies to deal with it. So for example, in one community of agropastoralists, they have a migration pattern where in the wet season, they stay in the south of their uh, community where their farms are and they cultivate rain-fed farms. And then in the dry season, they migrate north to the river so that they're Livestock can get access to water and they have a reliable access to drinking water as well. So there are already these coping strategies going on. So I think one way to really think about climate resilience could be about strengthening this inherent resilience that communities already have. So the reason I think that that is so important for practitioners is because there has been a historical legacy of um, work from NGOs from research impact projects where interventions have been suggested that actually undermine these okay. this inherent resilience right So for example, forced settlement of pastoralists mm-hmm. to try and um, uh, reduce poverty and to develop these communities has actually reduced pastoralist resilience their livelihood
1: resilience. So it's worked against them. So in trying to make it what more water secure for them, they've actually ended up making life a lot worse for people. Absolutely. So I think it's really
0: good to have a starting point of looking at the way that communities are already coping and to build
2: on that. Also, just kind of countries have to make a lot of decisions about how to distribute resources. In when there's an extreme event, it costs money to distribute resources when it's not as extreme as you think it's going to be. Um, but yeah, they does go back to what Catherine was saying because some people are, you know, surprisingly resilient in those types of extremes, and other people aren't. So it would be really worthwhile to understand and value why mm-hmm. certain groups or water users are resilient and others are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of information that you can be that can be gained from these types of events that happen now.
0: Building on that, there's this really interesting area of research called the humanitarian development nexus. Okay, what's that? So the way that um, water security decisions are made in a humanitarian emergency, and the way that water security decisions are made for development are very different. And they respond to different challenges. So in a humanitarian emergency, you might have large numbers of people migrating and end up with a large population of internally displaced people that you need to provide water for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think understanding human behavior and these bigger trends that climate change is going to bring, such as mass migration as the new norm, and thinking about this humanitarian development nexus and how development can support... The humanitarian sector and the other, and vice versa, is really, really important for um, decision making around water security for climate resilience.
1: Mm -hmm. So it could be then from watching how people behave to these experiences that we've already had these shock events or other things, we can then know what exactly where do we need to make those resources more resilient because it might not make sense to make the water provision resilient in this far-off village when we know when these shocks come everybody moves to this other area this city maybe and therefore we need to focus on building up that city's resilience because they become like a resilient hub for the population is that the sort of thing that you've found yeah absolutely that's really interesting Thanks again to Dr. Kat Grasham and Dr. Ellen Dyer for speaking to me today. It's so great to hear about such exciting and important research. Thanks also to the band Broke For Free who provide our title music. For more conversations on climate change adaptation or to access world-leading advice and guidance on climate risk management, visit our website, www.acclimatise.uk.com. You can also listen to many more episodes by subscribing to SoundCloud, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. That's all from me, so speak to you next time.